Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. In just one second, we are going to have the great Senator Ron Johnson here on this program. I will ask him about the George Floyd shooting. But we're also going to talk about other topics as well. Very pressing topics. This conversation is going to be terrific. You're not going to want to miss it. So please email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. And as you see the story develop, we are going to be on top of it. As you probably have noticed by now, we are going daily, seven times a week. We are the hardest working podcast team, I think, in political podcasting. I can't even find another podcast that does seven a week. We are proud of it. Please support our show. You can go to charliekirk.com to help get behind what we're doing. And also email me, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Before we get to my conversation with him, I have to address what is probably the number one news story right now in America. It's not the Chinese coronavirus. It's not 41 million people out of work. It is the killing of George Floyd. For those of you that might not be totally aware of what's happening, uh, George Floyd was killed by a police officer on the side of the street, and the video has now gone viral, viewed tens of millions of times. And I am generally not one to engage in hysteria and having been very aware and observant of the misinformation that came out of Ferguson, Missouri, and the lies around hands up, don't shoot, which ended up being a complete and total fabrication of the media narrative, where CNN literally had an entire segment where every host put up their hands and said, hands up, don't shoot. And that entire narrative was untrue. It was debunked. I remember the George Zimmerman controversy back in 2012, where George Zimmerman defended himself, was put off on charges, very controversial, and ended up being a lot more to that story than people first told us. And so I have learned throughout the years to be slow to judgment and wait for all the information to be presented and put forward. This particular incident, with all the information provided to me today through multiple camera angles and to talking to sources on the ground, seems as if there's no excuse whatsoever, no reasonable explanation as to what happened with the police officer with George Floyd. 
Now, I want to remind you, this is a singular incident. This is by no means evidence of systemic racism. I will talk about that. This is not evidence that every police officer engages like this. However, in my observation of the facts, is gross, awful, and evil. And unless there's something I'm completely missing, going after an individual, George Floyd, that was under the allegation of using counterfeit currency and putting your knee on his neck for six minutes, which resulted in his death, is murder. And there were other police officers that witnessed this that did nothing. Now, nowhere in the handbook, nowhere in the manual of training a police officer or a law enforcement officer are you supposed to or given the freedom to put your knee on someone's neck. Now, this is a really important point about police officers. Members of the military operate differently than law enforcement officers. Members of the military are, by definition, trying to seek and destroy the enemy. They are not involved in de-escalation. You see a Taliban member that has engaged with you militarily. It is your mission to seek and destroy that individual and do it quickly. A law enforcement officer, being a domestic keeper of the peace, is supposed to enter every situation and de-escalate the situation. So you might enter a house dispute and two people might be screaming at each other. It is your goal to have a peaceful conclusion and a peaceful ending towards that specific dispute. In this case, this individual was using counterfeit currency, and even if he tried to evade arrest, nowhere in the operational directive of a police officer, it is, is it any way appropriate to put your knee on the neck of that individual for six minutes that results in the death of that person? There's a lot of takeaways from this. I was recently co-hosting a morning radio show for three hours in Los Angeles from the Salem Radio Network, The Answer. And I made the prediction that ended up being proven to be true in real time, where I said this individual that put his knee on the neck of George Floyd, Derek Chauvin. I made the prediction in real time on the air, and I said, I guarantee you that this individual has been involved in violent-type interactions before. Because we know this through pathological and psychological analysis, that people act in patterns. And it turned out five minutes later, there was breaking news that Derek Chauvin was involved in using lethal force against an individual, and one of the other cops was actually sued and decommissioned from the police force for two years for arresting and beating uh, a certain citizen and eventually having to pay $25,000 as a result, and then he gets put back on the police force. There are two other cops that witnessed this that inexcusably did nothing. This is basically Kitty Genovese syndrome. Now, the murder of Kitty Genovese was back in March of 1964. It was 28-year-old Kitty Genovese who was stabbed outside an apartment in New York City. And she made a lot of noise when she was murdered. Two weeks after the murder, the New York Times did some very good journalism back when they did journalism. And they claimed that 38 witnesses actually heard the attack. But none of them called the police and none of them came to help her. Now, after some research, it turned out that it was not 38 people, but it was about 15 people that heard the attack. But this is now known as Kitty Genovese syndrome. And the American Psychologist and the American Psychiatric Association goes into this entire study 
and says that there is something to be said to use this as an incident of when someone gets murdered and people stand by and do nothing. Bystander syndrome in the face of evil. Now, the New York Times has clarified their reporting and apologized, and they said they exaggerated the number of witnesses. But it's true that there was a fair number of people that saw and heard the murder and did nothing, similar to these cops that saw this police officer put his knee on the neck of George Floyd inexcusably for six minutes and did nothing. This is a really bad incident for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's a really bad incident because George Floyd is dead. That is not okay, and it is inexcusable. It's also a really bad incident because now this is going to be used as a reason and as a singular reference point to stop policing in urban black neighborhoods where they need it the most. An increased police force in urban cities brings down the crime rate. It brings down black-on-black shootings and makes black kids' lives safer. If black lives matter, you want more police officers in in your community, not less. So now this individual incident paired with a false pre-existing narrative will create nationwide confirmation bias. This will create a false narrative to give an excuse to get cops out of the communities where we need them the most. This will result in more black deaths. This will also continue to propagate a false narrative, and I'm telling you right now, on AM Joy Reads show, AM Joy, on MSNBC, they will have an entire segment, if not the entire show, dedicated to pushing this lie that there's an epidemic of racist police shootings. There was a study done by faculty at Michigan State University and the University of Maryland at College Park that created a database of 917 officer-involved fatal shootings in 2015 from over 650 police departments. 55% of the victims were white, 27% were black, and 19% were Hispanic. Between 90 and 95% of the civilians shot by officers in 2015 were attacking police or other citizens. 90% were armed with a weapon. So-called threat misperception shootings, in which an officer shoots an unarmed civilian after mistaking a cell phone, say for a gun, were very rare. Earlier studies, even before that, have disproven the idea that white officers are biased in shooting black citizens. I'm reading, in part, from a terrific article written by Heather McDonald, who is one of the most fact-first individuals when it comes to this topic. She is a writer at the Manhattan Institute and originally published this piece at National Review. I look forward to having Heather McDonald on the podcast very soon. This will result in more black deaths and more drugs going into communities. And as a result of this murder, or I should say alleged murder, but it's pretty fair to say based on the camera footage of what happened. We've now seen Minneapolis go into flames. We have seen a Target store completely looted and brought down to bare bones of nothing. We have seen affordable housing communities put up into flames as if it was Dresden, Germany. You look at the imagery, it should make you feel as if this is a third world 
country. So let's get very specific about language right here and right now. Rioting is not protesting. Destroying your community is not protesting. The second that you steal, loot, destroy, smash, or burn, you lose any and all moral license to be able to protest a moral injustice. Protest it. Get in the streets. Do so peacefully. As soon as you pick up a baseball bat and you start smashing windows, as soon as you go into Target and literally take everything, millions of dollars of merchandise, as soon as you start to burn down small businesses, you start to indulge yourself in the very same evil that killed George Floyd. You become the evil that you think you are protesting. This should be a pretty mainstream and accepted opinion out of our lawmakers, but it's not. The ingrate, which that word sounds worse than what it actually means, Ingrate means an individual that has total ingratitude for where they live and for what they're experiencing. The ingrate, Elon Omar, said, we can rebuild businesses, but we cannot rebuild lives. Basically, her district is in flames, and she is giving moral license. She is giving a green light as the House of Representatives Congresswoman for that district to go riot and loot and destroy. She should be held criminally accountable for giving a green light for all the destruction that is happening right now in the beautiful city of Minneapolis. She is not doing her job of representing a once great American city that is now in flames. It still is great in a lot of ways. This is nothing new. The former mayor of Baltimore who made headlines for an unrelated reason to just attack Donald Trump, she famously said that we need to give rioters the space to be able to destroy. This is nothing new. The American left has total contempt for private property. The American left hates the fact that people might own something that others don't. So for Elon Omar, who believes that all student debt should be canceled, private property, that billionaires should not exist, private property, and that private debt should be canceled and mortgages should be canceled, it's perfectly intellectually and philosophically consistent for her to say to her constituents, go pick up a baseball bat and destroy the dry cleaner. Go take a blowtorch and go burn down the local delicatessen. Go take a firearm and go into a store and demand what you think is yours. Elon Omar is the lowest form of American politician imaginable. But isn't this what the left has always wanted, which is a divulge into chaos? In a lot of ways, this goes back to one of the thesis statements that we have argued for here on The Charlie Kirk Show, which is that the left is nothing more than crisis seekers. They go out of their way to seek crisis where it does not exist and create it when they need it, which gives license to their widespread authoritarianism which gives them permission to control us. So as things go in flames, that's a great reason for them to start to say, we need to control more people. And now you're seeing cities that are completely disconnected and unrelated to this crisis, like Los Angeles, thousands of miles away on the other side of the country, where rioters are now destroying California Highway Patrol cars. 
where riots are popping up all across the country. Why? Because of a singular injustice. Why? Because something evil happened. That is not a good reason to pillage, destroy. In fact, there's no reason to go pillage and destroy. This is why we have first freedoms. As long as you do not threaten, destroy, or get into the practice of violence, please voice your opinion and protest your government. Demand changes. And now that we know that this particular individual in the police force did have a history of violence and questionable behavior, Derek Chauvin, I guarantee you these riots are not going to calm down anytime soon. In fact, they'll probably heat up. And as a byproduct of this, you are going to see power-hungry politicians like the alleged abuser, Keith Ellison, who gets away with allegedly beating his girlfriend despite 911 calls accusing him of this. He gets elected as attorney general of the state of Minnesota where this is happening. And this is what the left wants to bring to America. Widespread lawlessness, crisis in every corner, and permission to control your life. I look on Twitter and I see blue check verified individuals praising the looting and destruction. Imagine the revenge. Imagine the resentment you must have to support this. Imagine how much hatred you must have built up within you to support innocent bystanding businesses to be completely and totally eliminated for a disconnected event because a singular police officer was not held accountable when he had a bad record of behavior and then did something that was inexcusable and evil. Doing more evil will not bring George Floyd back to life. Doing more evil will not make your argument any stronger. Doing more evil actually turn more people off to your cause. You have lost any credibility in my eyes as soon as you support or engage in the forceful physical destruction of innocent bystanders and their businesses and their life work and affordable housing units. I don't care how angry you get. It is not correct. It is not right to try to effectuate change by being an arsonist. This is what separates us from third world countries. I hope. Unlike certain third world countries, when unrest gets really bad, they start to burn buildings. They start to destroy infrastructure so that they can get the attention and the change they want. This is why first freedoms are so important. The left doesn't respect first freedoms, and they're getting impatient. They get so impatient that they want to riot, loot, and eliminate private property so that they can get the attention that they think they deserve to push forth a broader agenda. And guess what? If you remove police officers from some of these communities like they have in Chicago, especially on the southwest side and the south side, you're going to have 500 gun deaths a year. So you're going to have more death. You're going to have more injustice for the things that you're advocating for. You're going to have more rioting, more looting, and the criminals will run the streets. Do you owe money for student loan debt? Are you being crushed by the cartel, the colleges? Do you have a grandson, granddaughter, son or daughter 
that do not know what they are going to do with their student loan debt. It's just keeping them up at night. Well, guess what? There is a path forward. It's called Credible.com. It's an online marketplace that gets you pre-qualified student loan refinancing rates from up to 10 different lenders. They are a shopping market to get you out of debt. They help people get out of student loan debt. And if you've got student loan debt, you could benefit. With a lower rate, you could save on interest and lower your monthly payment. It's cash in your pocket, money in your pocket. With a shorter loan term, you could get debt-free faster. Consolidate all your student loan bills in one place. Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much better their lives have been after refinancing their student loans. On Credible, you see actual pre-qualified rates from up to 10 different lenders, whereas at some other marketplaces, you only get a range of rates or ballpark estimates. Guess what? It only takes a couple minutes to check rates. You can get a student loan debt. Again, if you have student loan debt, why are you not going to Credible.com? It's the way to get out. Checking rates does not impact your credit. They'll never sell your data, so you won't receive spam and phone calls from dozens of lenders. So please visit Credible.com slash Charlie. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com slash C-H-A-R-L-I-E. When you refinance your student loans, using this link, they'll give you a $200 gift card. That's Credible.com slash Charlie. Credible.com slash Charlie. Welcome, Senator Johnson, to the Charlie Kirk Show. Honored to have you today. I've been a uh, big fan of yours for many years, and you've been fighting for our country and fighting for freedom and liberty uh, quite well in the Senate. So welcome to the Charlie Kirk Show. Excited to dive into uh, many topics with you today. Um, let's just start right here. Can you give us an update on the Obamagate scandal? This is something I am getting so much chatter about. There's so much passion around the lack of justice towards Susan Rice and her role in the declassifying of the infamous Inauguration Day memo. Can you give us an update on everything around Obamagate? Well, it, it's a massive uh discussion. I would say to simplify things, what we're really looking at is you know, rather than what America is famous for, a peaceful transition of power, one that's cooperative, uh, including a honeymoon for the next uh, president. What we witnessed instead was a complete corruption of the presidential transition process. And it was a corruption designed to sabotage this administration. And it really did begin prior to the election, uh, the insurance policy. Uh, but also really started up in, in earnest the day after the election. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I think this is probably the greatest internal assault on our democracy in our history. Uh, we're starting to get a clear picture of what's being involved here. Uh, we've seen a little bit of a logjam of information breaking here. Uh, and we're going to, I am tenacious. I am dedicated to putting that, that uh, complete puzzle together so the American people understand what happened. So a lot of people are skeptical and cynical that people actually be held accountable. And I, I'm, I'm in that camp, Senator. I've, I've come to just get my expectations to be nothing because it seems as if from the outsider's perspective, there are, there's two sets of rules. There's rules for Republicans, conservatives, and Trump supporters. And it seems as if we get a comma wrong, they're going to send the full force of the Department of Justice after us. And rules for Democrats that can lie under oath and lobby for foreign governments. It seems as if justice never comes after them. Can the American people expect anyone to be held accountable for what's happened? Charlie, there's two different forms of accountability. There's one in terms of political accountability and exposure. And then there's one about criminal liability. I, I have nothing to do with the uh, criminal prosecutions. But part of the problem, I think part of the frustration is we have gone about these investigations and these probes into potential criminal activity on the part of political figures completely backwards. You know, what we should do is we should start with congressional oversight. Congress should have access to all the materials. 
if if during those congressional oversight investigations and hearings we, we determine there's some measure of criminal activity, we would then refer that to the to the Justice Department. If there's some conflict because of the whoever's in in, in power, uh, and you require a special counsel, then you appoint a special counsel. Take a look at what happened here. We started with a special. Well, first we started with a criminal investigation uh, that people honestly didn't even know about. That morphed into a special counsel. Uh, eventually ended up in impeachment. And so what's happened is here we are three years later, Congress has not had access to the information. And the role of Congress, by the way, is completely different than a special counsel or a criminal probe. That they're about criminal prosecutions. We're about exposing this and public disclosure so the American people know what happened. Here we are three years later and the public still doesn't know. So what I've been arguing for quite some time is we need to start with congressional oversight, uh, Congress has to have access to all that information. At least now we're starting to get access to that information. And as long as I'm chairman, I'm going to do everything I can to uncover it and make sure the American people understands what happened. Well, thank you for that and your commitment to that, because it's it's outrageous. And I could tell you, Senator, and I'm sure you're getting plenty of messages like this. People people on the conservative base especially are really upset because we feel as if we had this entire impeachment processional for no good reason whatsoever. But the other side did something that you correctly pointed out, which was one of the first potential interruptions of the peaceful transfer of power in our country's history, where an incumbent decided to act as if this was a medieval type system of governance because they just don't like the next person and they're going to try to interrupt it or go after their political opposition. And so I'm very pleased that you're you're holding hearings and that you're asking questions about this, especially around the unmasking. And was Michael Flynn targeted directly by this is a very fair and very important question. Um, I also want to ask you about vote by mail. Vote by mail is now back in the spotlight in light of the Democrats' efforts uh, to try to mandate it through the HEROES Act. Wisconsin is a critical state. In fact, one of the most critical states to Donald Trump's reelection. I grew up in northern Illinois. I love Wisconsin. Wisconsin, one of my favorite states in the entire country. And I'm pleased to see them elect representatives such as yourself that love our country and love you know, what we stand for. Do you support vote by mail? And do you think this would be a good thing for the state of Wisconsin or for you know, our country in general? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm just I always really enjoyed Election Day. I like going to the polling uh, place, you know, filling in my, my ballot and putting it through our optical scanner. Uh, now, as a United States senator, I'm, I'm not here on Election Day, so I have to vote the absentee ballot. But we need to control that process. And I am highly concerned, I think as the president is justifiably concerned, about providing ballots to everybody. We've seen we've seen the abuse of ballot harvesting. I, I think you're just putting your head in the sand if you deny the fact that mail-in mail -in balloting, mail-in voting just opens up all kinds of different avenues for types of fraud. And in the end, we, we want to make sure that every vote counts, every legitimate vote counts. And if you have fraudulent votes, you're taking away, you're basically disenfranchising a valid voter. So uh, there's certainly a, a proper role for absentee ballots and for mail-in voting, but it should be limited. It should be tightly controlled. Yeah. And, and we really need to be honest in terms of what types of abuse do we really need to be concerned about. Getting in shape doesn't have to be about losing a specific amount of weight or a magic number on the scale. It's about building healthier habits and feeling better about yourself. If fitting into that favorite pair of jeans is your goal, great. But there are many reasons you might want to practice self-care, and every person is different. 
it, you might want to be able to run a marathon. You might just want to lose 10 or 15 pounds. Noom, N-O-O-M, is the way to do that because everyone is different. Noom adjusts your lifestyle. They teach you psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyzing your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers. So you have all the support you need to empower your change. There's physical, psychological, and social ways to get this done. Better self-care, feeling confident in clothing, more energy, or just an overall better feel about yourself. You can integrate Noom into your life. You trust yourself to make good choices. The specific lessons you learned about psychology or habits, these of just 10 minutes a day, they will help you get your goals done. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. It's based in psychology. Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. No food is good or bad or off-limits. Noom teaches moderation and can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing popular diets if you want. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Chat with your goal specialist and Noom community to get and give help to people going through the same things. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today. Noom.com slash Charlie. N-O-O-M.com slash Charlie. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash Charlie to start your free trial today. That's N-O-O-M.com slash Charlie. I think it's really interesting when we talk about mail-in voting, how the left is so focused on trying to push mail-in voting. I, th- In my opinion, I think it's a gateway to fraud and You see what's happened in Orange County. We lost all five House seats as they allow more ballot harvesting and mail-in voting. The state of Oregon is an example where you can't even go to a polling place on Election Day. And I think something that is as sacrosanct and as important as voting should not be given any of the chance for fraud or for people to fill in the ballot for you. And we know how, how committed the left is to try to pursue power. They're going to do whatever it takes to try to win. And I do not trust millions of ballots floating around. I mean, NBC Los Angeles just reported that an 89-year-old individual in Orange County received 80 ballots just delivered to their house uh, recently. That's, that's outrageous, and it's something that needs to really be pushed back against and um, I think highlighted. So I also want to get into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. You've been outspoken about this. Um, when can we expect from the Senate committee Um, any hearings, investigations when it gets to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and some of his business dealings? I know there are subpoenas issued recently. Can can you give us some update on that? Specifically in terms of the the current situation, uh, Chuck Grassley uh, responded to an article in Political in January 2017 that alleged there was some involvement between Alexandra Chalupa, uh, who worked for the DNC or was a contract to the DNC, with different actors in, in Ukraine. And we joined uh, Senator Grassley's investigation about a year ago. Uh, obviously, with impeachment, uh, the, the Democrats brought up the issue of, uh, of Joe Biden's involvement uh, as part of President Trump's conversation with President Zelensky. Uh, it's not my fault. It's not our committee's fault that you know, our investigation into possible uh, interference by some people in Ukraine with the DNC, that, that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden got wrapped up in that because of Hunter Biden's involvement on the board of a very corrupt uh, oil company that was trying to repair its reputation in the U.S. Um, and obviously, the U.S. is a big player, so you, you don't want to be looked at uh, askance by the United States government. So Burisma basically hired a, 
a Democrat lobbying firm called Blue Star Strategies. And Blue Star Strategies is involved in uh, repairing the reputation of Burisma. Uh, obviously, from my standpoint, uh, the owner of Burisma put Hunter Biden on, on his board to grease the skids, to, to use that contact. And we have evidence uh, of uh, emails with issued, uh, uh, individuals in the State Department where, where that connection was definitely used. And then I, I would call it bullying tactics on the part of Blue Star Strategy. So we, we attempted to get a, a, a subpoena of, of uh, Mr. Teloshenko. Uh, I, I can't even get into all the details, the machinations that occurred to prevent that vote from happening. But uh, in, when it came right down to crunch time the day before the vote, on a bipartisan basis, members of my committee said, well, if you want the records from Blue Star from Teloshenko, you know, we're concerned about Russian disinformation. Why don't you directly subpoena Blue Star? Again, on a bipartisan basis, I had Democrat senators telling me the same thing. I said, OK, uh, I'm not sure they'll 100 percent cooperate with us, but we'll issue a subpoena to Blue Star. Of course, when we did that last week, when we voted on that, it was like, you know, the sky was falling. And, uh, you know, every accusation that we were ignoring 100,000 deaths of covid no, we just want to get those records and we want to get to the truth. And so we subpoena Blue Star Strategies. Hopefully they will cooperate fully. I think we'll learn all kinds of interesting things. Um, and when we have learned as much as we think we can learn, I hope to issue a report no later than the end of, end of June. There'll still be unanswered questions. There's no doubt about it. But the American people need to understand exactly what happened between certain actors in, the, in Ukraine uh, the State Department, Vice President Biden, Hunter Biden, uh, Blue Star Strategies. It's 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 uh, it's going to be an interesting story to tell. Trust me. Well, Senator, you can use a talking point that the left decided to use towards us, which is, hey, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's what they said all throughout the impeachment hearings to try to tell us that they could do important work of the people of which they were unable to do and also impeach the president of the United States wrongly, by the way. So I just think it'd be a fun kind of semantic retort to them as they're trying to say as if we can't use both, which I think is nonsense. But I'm glad you're focusing on this, Senator, because it is so apparent, the double standard that exists. And if the left did not have double standards, they wouldn't have standards at all. How Joe Biden used the office of the vice presidency as a way that he could kind of pepper his son around the world to be able to bring cash flow into the Biden family enterprise. And we've seen suspicious deals with Joe Biden's brother, and we know the Chinese Communist Party bank deal, which is not connected to that specific Blue Star Strategies subpoena and investigation. But I would venture a guess, and you don't have to comment on this, that there, you're going to find something. I mean, if there might be something in those records if they had not destroyed them and they didn't do what Lois Lerner and Hillary Clinton did, which is completely bleach bit all their records, which, you might, Senator, you might find all my stuff that they're like, I don't know, we deleted everything. I hope that's not the case. I'm guessing that you're going to find some communications where they're bragging and boasting about the connections of Hunter Biden or trying to get Hunter Biden engaged because they think they're going to get some sort of favorite public policy result. So uh, you, it's all conjecture at this point. I'm sure that you'll be able to, to find once you issue your report. So I want to talk about China. This is something that is very it's a passion point for a lot of people. I am outraged at the Chinese Communist Party. I have taken a very, very firm stance where I think it's time to basically go into a new Cold War with China. I think they are the most malevolent force in the world, and they are, they've ripped our country off and, quite honestly, have waged a war in our country for so long, building Confucius Institutes, hacking our cyber grid, deindustrializing our base, and Wisconsin has not been immune to that kind of manufacturing exodus over the last couple decades. And, Senator, you ran 
a business in Wisconsin that, if I remember correctly, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, obviously, but I don't remember if it was manufacturing or not, but you know business in Wisconsin quite well, so you'd know the landscape there. What's an appropriate response to China for the lying, for the the duplicity, their increasingly aggressive tone? I mean, yesterday, their their spokesman for external affairs said the United States is to blame for a lot of the, mis- the mischievousness around the world. What are we supposed to make of this? Well, first of all, we do need to understand and you know, come to the very unfortunate conclusion that China is not a benign force in world affairs. They are a malign force. Now, I'm not going to second guess people 20 years ago or whenever we let them into the World Trading Organization. The goal was, the hope was, that if you can help China pull people out of poverty, that with that additional affluence, that people would just naturally embrace pluralism and freedom and independence and democracy and and we would have a, a partner, a growing partner. Uh, that's what everybody hoped. Uh, I think we've probably come way too late to the realization that that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, they, they pulled 400 you know, million of their people out of poverty, put them in the middle class. That's a good thing if they were using that kind of economic power in a benign fashion. But when they are militarizing the South China Seas, when they're uh, in- instituting things like China 2025, which will destroy 10 other industries worldwide through their mercantilism as they have the steel industry. And when they were doing the, the Belt and Road Initiative, which is, uh, you know, credit on with it, not only just strings attached, but chains attached to it, uh, they, are, they are malign influence. And no fur, you have to look no further than the probably trillions of dollars of, of value that they have stolen from the, from the West in order to get where they are economically. Uh, it's in, it's in, it is not something we should tolerate. Uh, I think the best reaction, though, would be to get the entire world on the same page and demand that China start abiding by the rules. Uh, That's the approach I've I've always said we should use. And now you throw on top of it their behavior with COVID, which is, you know, outrageous. The fact that they were not honest with this. It's it's hard to determine how many hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved if China would have acted responsibly, given us the information they found that they knew when they knew it, uh, you know, they shut down travel from Wuhan to all parts in China, but not to the West. Uh, I've gotten one estimate. I haven't verified it, but but it was tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, of people flew out of Wuhan to all areas of the world at, you know, after they had shut down travel to China. So China bears a huge level of responsibility for all the misery that's occurred because of this uh, coronavirus and because of COVID-19, and they do need to be held accountable. But we're only going to be able to hold them accountable is if we go to them pretty much the united world and make sure that other states that cooperate with them from, from this standpoint don't join us in, in this effort will be as big a pariah as, as China will be on the world scene. I think that's well said. I agree with that. I'm skeptical, though, because China has bought up most of the world. I mean, China basically owns a lot of the ruling class in our own country, and a lot of the ruling class in Italy, for example. I mean, the Bank of China is now the preferred bank in most of northern Italy. Uh, it seems as if the United Kingdom has finally come to the realization that having Huawei, Huawei I'm sorry, build your 5G grid is not exactly the best decision when you're talking about critical infrastructure. And so I hope you're right. I hope the world can demand something out of China. But as far as the Senate is concerned and real legislation that has the likelihood of passing and what you favor, what, what is the United States going to demand out of China, or at least yourself, to hold them accountable and make them pay for the death and the trillions of dollars of economic damage that happened because of the Chinese coronavirus? 
Well, you know, Charlie, we may part company here. I, I do think you need to proceed with caution. I think there are things that you have to enforce. And again, it's the theft of intellectual property that you know, no, no trade agreement is going to adequately address that. I think you need to hold people as we are, for example, the CFO of Huawei, as we're trying to extradite her. We need, we need to enforce criminal standards. We can't allow, for example, uh, Chinese business people to travel around the world uh, unimpeded. We have to impose those types of sanctions, those, those types of uh, economic uh, pressure points to get them to behave. I, I certainly do not want to start a hot war with China. I think we need to do everything we can to avoid that. But that, this is where it's so important that we have the rest of the world on our side and recognizing, and yes, China is incredibly intelligent. Uh, they are brazen in how they utilize their economic power. Uh, but you put together the, the American economy with the, uh, the economies in, in Western Europe, we, we still outsize China by, by a very large portion and Chinese economy is hurting as well. So there are certainly pressure points. We just need to have a united front to, to again, I wish China were a benign force. I wish Russia were a benign force. I wish North, North Korea, Iran, but they're not. We have to accept the reality and we have to react yeah. accordingly. Well, I think you said it well, Senator, that we all wished that our trade with them would have made them more Western. And I do think it's a good thing that people are lifted out of poverty. I, I support that. I mean, we're I do believe that the market is the best way to give people dignity and improve the standard of living, especially for the third world. However, we were we were given this guarantee that the more we traded with them, somehow they were going to become like Thailand or they were going to become like the Philippines or come some some sort of pseudo westernized Asian country. And the exact opposite happened. It's almost as if it intensified their radicalism and gave more it gave more capital flows to the tyrants of Xi, all the communist, Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping, which was completely contrary to a lot of why these deals were put in place in the first, you know, originally. And so I think there's a lot of reconsidering there. Uh, Senator, uh, the, 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 the Chinese government has Confucius Institutes all across the country. Uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray has testified that these are huge threats to our nation's security, that they need to be closely looked at, if not kicked off college campuses. Um, you, you being on the Homeland, you know, being involved in the Homeland Security um, Committee and also on the other committees you sit on, is this something you're looking at? The Confucius Institutes, it's very close to home with the work we do at Turning Point USA. We've dealt with them before, and I could tell you they're not uh, benign forces at all. Uh, they're just not. And so uh, is there anything, uh, any, any comments on the Confucius Institutes or action that you think needs to be taken against them? Well, again, that, that's what I'm talking about when we utilize criminal law or immigration law. And we need to stop this abuse. We need to recognize it's occurring. We need to stop it. We need, we need to support allies like uh, Taiwan. We have to do everything we can to push back on China's malign aggression. And that obviously means that we, we have to stop them from stealing our stuff. And the Confucius, uh, those institutions, those types of organizations, that's how they do it. And we need to wise up to it. Uh, but, you know, criminally, we, we are arresting people that work for companies that thought they were, you know, you know, valued members of, of those companies, and they're basically Chinese agents. So we need to root that out. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would encourage you, Senator, to call the University of Wisconsin Platteville and ask them to close their Confucius Institute because I think that it's uh, it does not represent the values and the interests of the people of Wisconsin. And I do not think a state institution like UW Platteville, in my opinion, should have uh, should have a Confucius Institute funded by the Chinese Communist Party. I think that it is uh, contrary to everything that we believe as a country. So looking more broadly in 2020, Wisconsin's a very key state. Uh, you know it quite well. You won in a vi- I have to give you credit, Senator. Your victory in 2016 was one of my favorite. Uh, I cannot stand 
who you ran up against, Russ Feingold. I believe that was I, – I, I knew his name better a couple years ago. He was – he's just awful. And I think he wanted to come after you especially. For, just gives our audience some context, and I know you're, you're amazingly humble, so you'll never say it. Russ, if I remember correctly, he was the incumbent senator for years. You beat him in 2010, surprisingly, and totally took him out. Russ decided not to run for governor against Scott Walker a couple times, almost because he wanted to get you back. And then you beat him again in 2016. So what are some of the keys to victory in Wisconsin? Um, it's a very purple state, I guess I could say. I think that's probably a fair way to put it. You serve with um, a Democrat that I would consider to be rather radical, and you yourself are a true conservative. You've elected Republicans statewide for governor positions. It's a state that is very politically open-minded. What are the keys for Republicans delivering victory in Wisconsin in 2020? Well, first review, 2010, that was the year of the Tea Party. And I, I would say President Obama, although he wasn't on the ballot, and his policies lost. Um, Russ Feingold lost that race, as opposed to me winning it or the Tea Party won it. Uh, fast forward to 2016, uh, we beat Russ Feingold. And when I say we, I'm talking about the grassroots effort within Wisconsin. There's the key right, right there. Uh, I continue to say that the, the reason that Scott Walker, unfortunately, lost his reelection bid was, and I'm not a real fan of uh, professional political campaign consultants. Uh, don't have enough time to go into why. But uh, you know, they, they, they love having the candidate raise money so they can run a bunch of ads. But in the end, you do need ads. There's no doubt about it. You, you need to wage the ad war. But what wins elections are boots on the ground. You know, being close to the electorate and trying to inspire people to go out and work for you, to talk to their friends, their neighbors. Now, it's going to be challenging in 2020 because with COVID-19, campaigning activity is going to be different. We're going to, we're going to have to do the grassroots utilizing social media. But in the end, there's nothing that trumps uh, and nothing that works better in terms of winning elections than talking to people and having people talk to their friends, their family, neighbors, and being able to inspire them, uh, both, and quite honestly, both positively and negatively. You know, we, we've got two things going for us. What, what we have done in the last, uh, you know, almost three, you know, three and a half years now, is we've, we have turned this country around prior to COVID. We stopped over-regulating the economy. We have a, a more competitive and, and fair tax system. Uh, and we saw fabulous economic results. Uh, we've reached out to all communities, Every American. I, I thought one of President Trump's best lines with the, was the African American community going, you know, "What in the, you know, what have you got to lose? What have Democrats ever done to to lift uh, African Americans out of poverty? We've done it by having a great economy. So, uh, reaching out to every American, every Wisconsinite, as as equals of, of as people that truly do share the same goal of wanting a safe, prosperous, secure America in Wisconsin. That's the approach." but reaching out to everyone and enlisting everybody in the effort to, to win elections. I think that's well said. And I mean, for Joe Biden, I don't necessarily think that staying in a, base, staying in a basement is a prudent political strategy. I don't think that's a great way to win. Um, I, I want to ask you, Senator, uh, the convention is supposed to be in Milwaukee, allegedly. Are you hearing anything of whether or not the convention is going to happen for the Democrats in the state, or is it just too early to tell? Um, it is obviously within the state you represent. Uh, I'm just very interested. Have you heard anything or do you think that they're actually going to have a convention at all? Well, they're not doing like President Trump is doing, is trying to pressure the state to make sure it is an in-person convention. Uh, you know, Charlie, I think COVID-19 is a disease we do have to take, we have to give some respect. Now, that being said, I've, I've been out there very early on 
pointing out that we need to take the full perspective, understand the human toll, the economic devastation. This is back in March that you could easily predict and now that we're actually experiencing. Uh, I've always felt the approach to all these events, all these businesses was you know, not, not issue generalized shutdowns or safe at home and, and completely ignore constitutional rights. What we ought to have been doing is take a look at non-essential businesses or organizations that really pose a true risk of out of control spread that could overwhelm our healthcare systems. Now, the bottom line is we didn't overwhelm our healthcare systems. In fact, we're underwhelming it to the point where hospital systems are laying off doctors and nurses. So uh, we've accomplished the goal. Let's not change the goalposts. Now, let's not talk about things like we're only going to open up when there's no new inf infections or when we have a vaccine or when we have enough tests. Uh, the American people are smart. We're, we're, we are now a nation of germaphobes. We're going to socially distance. We're going to use personal hygiene. None of us wants to catch this disease. Now's the time to reopen up our economy. And if, if that includes conventions, fine. But if if the facts on the ground are that death rates are increasing or something happens, I think we should also be uh, prudent from a standpoint and go, maybe we need to approach this a different way. Yeah, and I um, I think it's more more than ample time to reopen America, especially reopen schools, for goodness sakes. I mean, we now know that students are at least at risk. And actually, we know that for the student population, not the case for over 30, that's about the breaking point. But for the student population, the flu is much more deadly for that particular age group than this. And I know that people come out of criticism for comparing this to the flu, but we don't shut down the entire country or shut down every school in the country because of it. And I understand to an extent there was a point where you had to try to increase hospital capacity. However, the amount of time that we shut down and locked down, I think will go down as one of the worst mistakes that we've made because there are people that had very preventable tumors that have not been found. There have been biopsies that were delayed. There were surgeries that were delayed, and there's going to be a lot of negative effects because of that. So, Senator, in the time we have remaining, can you tell us about the upcoming stimulus uh, phase five I think we're on right now that may or may not be passed? What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm a debt and deficit hawk. I, I'm very worried about the amount of money that we're creating out of thin air, the currency that is being deteriorated, the debt burden being put on our generation. I am not necessarily supportive, personally, of another couple trillion dollars being created or borrowed and mortgaged from future generations or even borrowed from China, as tragically ironic as that is. Uh, to try and stimulate the American economy. Where do you personally stand on a phase five stimulus bill? Well, first of all, I'm glad you said it's phase five because it is, we did three and a half, you know, phase three and a half. So this would be the fifth stimulus. We've already authorized $2.9 trillion. And let me put that in perspective for you. you know, a number of economists are saying we probably idled about 30% of our economy. 30% of our economy is, is about $600 billion a month. $2.9 trillion is basically five months worth of total replacement costs for 30% of our economy. So we've authorized more than enough money. Uh, I can't tell you, nobody can tell you how much that's been spent so far. My staff says it's about 900 billion. I've, I've heard another estimate, maybe a half. So before we even think about authorizing a dime more, let's take a look at our $2.9 trillion handiwork. Let's, say, let's see what actually happened or what actually worked, what's not working so well and really take a look at what do we really need to do in the future. I am highly concerned about businesses that, you know, particularly on the low end of the economic spectrum, people's life savings are wrapped up in their business, they've been wiped out. What can we do to potentially restore capital to businesses that are completely viable until, until COVID-19 and will be viable again, but they may not be able to reopen because they can't recapitalize. There, there, have, there have to be better programs than PPP or what we've done right now with the Treasury, one of the things I'm proposing is uh, 
some kind of hybrid effect where you know you could potentially give government grants to those businesses based on the number of employees plus loans and in exchange for the government grants the employees get ownership in that business in the form of an ESOP an employee stock ownership plan I'm talking to those associations right now but we have to understand that this has to be affordable but it all has to be directed toward recovering economically as rapidly as possible so let's design these things properly uh, smartly you know, unfortunately there aren't a whole lot of people in Congress that have business experience uh, they got a lot of government experience so they rely on government uh, we need to rely on the private sector and we have to incentivize it properly and, and, and spend the money wisely not so cavalierly that once we've just allocated 2.9 trillion dollars we're already thinking about the next three trillion that is absurd shouldn't even be considered I, I'm pleased to hear you say that because we need some fiscal restraint right now in DC more than ever and I I've been very kind of let down, honestly, Senator, by, and I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that, but certain Republicans just seem so ready to get back into the spending kind of, you know, spending spree. I say, wait a second, we're, we're subsidizing bad behavior through a lot of these expanded unemployment benefits. I have plenty of personal stories through that where there are people that I know personally here in Phoenix, Arizona, that are earning so much more money doing nothing than they were actually working. And that's subsidizing inactivity, and that's not going to help us get back to work. That's not going to help get the economy back on track. That's not going to help us restore some form of normal. And I think your comments on that are very well taken. Um, and I, I think if we're if we're serious about getting our country back on on track, we have to we have to also ask ourselves how much money have we actually spent of this, and where is it gone? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Um, and I, I think I think your your plan is much more common sense. I have skepticism that D.C. actually might think like business people anytime soon. But that's why we need more people like you in D.C. that well, actually have done it. So l- let me just quick point out, you know, PPP went to an awful lot of businesses that didn't need it. It just I mean, there, there was literally no standard there. So you know, we need to try and recover funds from people that really can repay those loans because they've actually did better with uh, under covid than than worse. Um, I mean, that would be the first point. And then the second point is, is, is one of caution, because right now I think what's uh, being laid out there is liability protection in exchange for some awful spending deal. Uh, what I've been trying to say internally is unless the federal government offers liability protection that is absolute and unconditional, it's probably yeah, not worth. I, agree. I, I know it's not worth some awful spending deal, because I think you set a very dangerous precedent if you you know, put a, an affirmative duty on any business organization that you have to do X, Y, and Z perfectly to avoid the trial lawyers. Uh, otherwise, right. we're going to hold you accountable for somebody catching an infection. I, I'm pleased to hear that tort reform is so critical right now. It is. I mean, you have to get the trial lawyers, which I consider to be just some of the most, let's just say they're a vulture-like industry. I have very little respect for generally. I, some trial lawyers do good work and they represent righteous causes. But generally, they are trying to find a crisis where it doesn't exist and penalize people that are just trying to do the right thing. And so especially in a time like this, they are going to either shut business will not be able to reopen properly or they will add such ridiculous extra costs on the cost of reopening. Liability protection is absolutely critical. I'm very, very pleased to hear you say that. So, Senator, I, I want to ask you about something that's been happening the last couple hours here, uh, last couple days, I should say, especially the last 24 hours. It's not in your state, but it's adjacent to your state, um, which is the rioting and the looting that is happening right now in Minneapolis. It's right across the border from Wisconsin. Um, I, I believe personally that this police officer, based on all the information provided, 
uh, with George Floyd acted improperly and did not, um, I think, represent our amazing police officers correctly. Um, this is something that's right near Wisconsin. I'm sure that uh, it's on your radar. Do you have any comments on this particular incident? Well, I agree. You can't look at that video and say everything went just swimmingly well. I mean, there was real abuse and probably criminal behavior. But the justice system is has been initiated. Their investigations, a number of them, including from the federal government, I think that's all appropriate. What is not appropriate is rioting yeah. and destroying other people's property and harming other individuals that are completely innocent. That is not the right response to this. Let the, the justice system work its 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 way, have due process. That's the proper reaction to this. And it looks like the the justice system is kicked in. Let's rely on that. I mean, and just I'm reading Elon Omar's comment. She says, we can rebuild businesses. We can't rebuild lives. I mean, it's just for a lawmaker to say something like that, who represents in the House of Representatives to support the kind of looting in her own district is unbelievably destructive. Other people got harmed in in, people got harmed in the riots as well. So how do you you rebuild that? I guess you say they heal. Um, it's, no, it's the wrong reaction. Well, it's part of a, a well, I think, a much broader, more malevolent agenda of the radical left, which almost gives license to the destruction of private property. But that's a different, much different, deeper conversation, a different time. Senator, anything else you're working on you want our audience to be aware of, ways that we can support your agenda? Uh, anything you want uh, our audience to possibly get behind? Well, just underscore the fact that uh, you know our committee really is working on you know this, the uh, vulnerabilities in our supply chain, the, the national stockpile. Uh, take a look at the modeling that really led to what I think was probably the wrong reaction. Uh, just real quick on Sweden, it gets it gets criticized. Here's the latest numbers on Sweden. The, I think the 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 one metric we should look at is number of deaths as a percentage of population. Sweden right now is at 0.048, lower than Belgium, the UK, Spain, and Italy, lower than seven U.S. states, including the District of Columbia. So I think Sweden probably approached this the right way. We're going to be doing all that kind of oversight. That's our main emphasis. But we are going to tenaciously pursue our oversight on the corruption of our of our of the transition process, the unmaskings, the burrowing in. Uh, there are so many things that we're looking at, and we will tenaciously pursue that. I'm I'm involving other committees, other staff that have knowledge of this. We, we don't we've got a short period of time to look at this, but we are going full speed ahead without sacrificing the other responsibilities as it relates to COVID-19. Well, thank you. And thank you for your commitment to truth and justice. And uh, you do not have to comment on this, nor do I expect you to. But I wish that Senator Graham had the same sense of urgency that you do. So I'm just going to say that and leave it there, because thank you for taking this very seriously and not just being all about talk, but about action, because that's why we support people like you. And I agree. The modeling is very questionable. I think Sweden actually was an exemplary example. There's all sorts of different you know, discussions around that. And I'm so glad that there's investigations going into that as well. Senator, you're a great American. We have your back. Thank you for joining The Charlie Kirk Show. Um, and thanks so much for all you do for our country. Thanks for all you do and stay healthy. Take care. You bet. Thanks. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.